Hello again. Welcome to part two of our show and tell series. Last episode you may recall that I asked for feedback regarding this type of podcast format and the response was overwhelmingly favorable. So we're doing it again. This time I'm trying something different and I'll be curious to know your thoughts about it. Instead of me presenting some of the many wonderful images sent to me for this show, I decided to have the actual artists themselves explain how they create their images in their own words. To that end, I conducted two virtual interviews by emailing my guests a questionnaire regarding their images they had sent me, what inspired them, their exposure settings, and so on. They in turn recorded their responses and sent me back their sound files, and the result is what you'll hear and see in this show. In this lesson, we'll be focusing exclusively on long exposure photography. And be sure to listen for details on how you can share your images with the world in a future podcast at the very end of the episode. Now, on with the show. Phil Botta is a 19-year-old college student from Northfield Village, Ohio, who says he's been a serious photographer for the last three years or so. I asked Phil what inspired him to create this particular image. What really uh, inspired me to do this was a project that we had to do for school which we were to make a frame and then something coming out of the frame. But really this just started as a long exposure that I had that wasn't that good at all. And then I turned into probably one of the best uh, photographs I've ever taken. I also asked Phil if this was a spontaneous process or instead something he planned out in advance. It was kind of spontaneous, not really a... Kind of, you know, I was taking long exposures that night, playing around with it, because I got a, a D70 from school to mess around with. So, with regard to exposure settings and any additional equipment used, Phil had this to say. Really, the f-stop was, uh, I believe, it was 5.6. Um, the shutter was open for, I think it was about 13 to 15 seconds. I'm not sure. Um, I just used the bald mode for that one, so I kind of counted it off in my head. The only other thing I used was a tripod, really, is just, it's a very simple thing to do. It's more than obvious that there was some digital manipulation carried out here, so I asked Phil what all was involved to create the final product. For as far as Photoshop goes for the, the frame picture, most of it was in Photoshop. I, I had to get a picture of a frame corner that I liked and then I had to make uh, three other copies of it and then put them together so it would look like the frame and then just with Photoshop I just uh, transformed it and then did um, perspective to make it look like it was angled and then really all I had to do after that was just erase the the part where the lights were traveling and then in the final version of it I made the uh, inside of the frame the frame and the lights before the frame in color and everything else in black and white with uh, the hue and saturation. Finally, I asked him if he was happy with the final product or if there was anything he could do or should have done to improve it. I really like it a lot. The uh, one thing that I could change on it or redo it would have to be the background. I don't like the background at all in the picture. It's it's kind of a distraction to what the overall uh, scene is and how great the picture actually looks it's just the background is not a very good part of it but, I mean other than that I don't really think of any ways you could really improve that Phil's comments present a topic I think is worth discussing here and that is backgrounds 
It's amazing how many good shots I've seen that have actually been ruined by a background that is either distracting physically or simply doesn't make sense with regard to the foreground. One of the biggest tips I can give anyone is for you to spend as much time looking at your backgrounds as you do your foregrounds while composing scenes that have the main subject in the foreground such as this image or a portrait. Ask yourself if you like the overall composition with regard to the space beyond the main subject. Does the background add to the shot or take away from it? If the latter is true, then what can you do to make the background either go away altogether or be subdued in some way? Finally, make the changes necessary to do this. Either change your camera position, come in closer to the subject, or choose an aperture that will give you less depth of field and thus blur the background out. I agree with Phil. This is a nice image, but the background is a distraction. The good news is that the image is still a strong one due to the great movement created by the lines, the illusion of depth created by the lights passing through the frame, and the emphasis of color in the frame, and the car's headlights and taillights popping out from the overall grayscale image. Next, Phil explains the steps he took to create this next impressive shot from beginning to end. For the, the moon and the waterfall, I just got my new camera and I really wanted to go and play around with it and uh, see what I could do and just try some uh, longer exposures at night. My really insp inspiration for this was the fountain in the water. I really wanted a nice uh, clear tone of it and then the moon was just in the perfect place for it. And it was looking all really good and everything but I was having a really hard time with the moon which I'll explain later what I had to do to make it look so good. Um, the camera that I used was a D60 with a 18 to 55, just the regular lens that comes with it when you buy it. Um, the exposure settings, um, ISO 100, the aperture had to be a really, really small aperture because I wanted the moon to be uh, in focus along with the water, so it was F22. Um, the shutter was probably open for 15 to 20 seconds because it was really dark and the lights in the fountain have already turned off. Um, the only other equipment I used was a tripod, and uh, that was it for the equipment. In Photoshop for the moon and waterfall picture, I had to uh, really get the moon better because the long exposure of the moon just made it look like a white circle that was really hazy because of the clouds that night and everything, so it just didn't look good at all. So I knew that in the picture, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to fix it. So what I did is that I used an old 70 to 240 uh, Nikkor lens and just took a picture of the moon at f5.6 at 1 250th ISO 200. So th that's how you get that really crisp view of the moon is by doing that. And you can even get that in the spot meter and you don't have to do it manually. I asked Phil if there was anything he didn't like about this image. What I don't like about the image is the um, the grain on it. It doesn't. It's not really the grain from the camera, but it's just the overall the what the fountain was made out of was like these pebbles that were uh, mixed together with cement with even smaller pebbles in it, which didn't really give it an overall good look to it. Other than that, there is a house in the or like a like corner of a building on the side. I might get rid of that, but then it's you know going on to the edge of too much manipulation into the photograph and it, I don't know if it would really add much to it it would probably take away stuff of it because it's going kind of good with the rule of thirds with the negative space where the moon's at and then the waterfall 
an in-house there, so I don't I don't think I would take it away from it. But that's really a lot of uh, that gets into like just more digital artwork instead of photography at that point. Again, Phil brings up another point worth discussing: over manipulation. Resist the temptation of using Photoshop to modify your images to the extent that you lose your original intent. In other words, keep it simple. Try to get it right the first time around while shooting your scenes, instead of taking less than perfect shots and then telling yourself you'll fix it later in Photoshop. What Phil did here was simply make his image better by pasting in a better moon. He didn't go any further than that because he simply didn't need to. Thanks, Phil, for sharing your images with us. Well, thanks for uh, interviewing me, Scott. It's uh, been my pleasure. I hope that you could do this more often in the future with other people. I'd really like to see what kind of stuff other people that are uh, listening or watching your podcast would enjoy. Rod Cyrus took the stunning image of a chair and light trails while experimenting with a camping light in a darkened room. When asked to describe the creative process behind the image, Rod had this to say. I placed a chair in front of the camera and uh, I played with the source of light behind it. By the way, the light, light source is a headlight I used to have in my tent when I went camping. I tried many shoots before I found the one that I felt is good enough for me. It was a little hard because I had to imagine the final picture as I was moving the light behind the chair so that it can highlight enough edges of the chair uh, so that it can be distinguishable from the black background and also wanted it to look like that the light is just going crazy behind the subject not just highlighting the edges actually I wanted I went a little bit too crazy and moved the light in front of the chair for just a split of a second so that it really seems like that the chair is in a storm twister of light my camera is an S3IS Canon, the aperture is 8, uh, as it is the highest possible in my camera, and the shutter speed is 15 seconds, as it is again the lowest possible on my camera. After taking the image, I used Lightroom for doing a little bit of sharpening and things like that on the image. Repeated shape, color, and texture is the hallmark of this formalistic image, also created by Rod. Here's how he went about making it. I placed a couple of marbles in the dish and again in the dark room I played with the source of light but this time I did not capture the light itself but I captured the reflection of the light on the marbles. As there was more than one, one marble there the reflection was repeated on, in every one of them. After I took the first image I realized that the only thing that was wrong with the image was that except for the trail of light reflected on the marbles, everything else was so dark that the marbles themselves could not be recognized. So what I did was I added a little bit of water into the dish and it filled the spaces between the marbles. So the reflection of the light in the water was good enough for distinguishing the marbles and it also added a great feeling on the image. I don't know why, but it did. I like to call this one parallel universes. It is the same camera on the tripod, and the aperture is again 8, as it is the highest possible for my camera, but the shutter speed this time is 4 seconds. Both of Rod's images are excellent examples of what great things can be done in a studio setting, where we're limited only by our imaginations. Photographing indoors allows us to take control of all aspects of a scene 
without worrying about the weather or where the light's coming from. So give studio photography a try sometime. You may be surprised at what you can come up with, as seen here in Rod's images. I'm going to wrap up this episode on long exposures with this awesome photo by Tom Fitzgerald. Tom took this shot at Baker Beach in San Francisco. He didn't have a tripod handy, so he propped up his Canon XSI on a boulder in the sand. He used the stock 18-55mm lens that came with his Rebel, and the exposure was 15 seconds at f4 at ISO 400. Besides being a beautiful night shot with stunning reflections in the water, Tom's shot epitomizes how essential improvisation can be. Had he not come up with the idea to prop his camera up on a rock for a long exposure, this wonderful image would never have existed. Great going, Tom. I'd like to thank all of my guests for the privilege of sharing their images with you in this special episode. I hope you've enjoyed hearing the stories behind their images as much as I've enjoyed bringing them to you. So here's my pitch. I'd like to invite any of you who have some great motion shots to send them to me at scott at scottwittenberg.com for a possible show-and-tell segment in the future. And I'd love to hear what your feelings are about this show, so drop me an email. That's about it for now. See you all later.